Hello, um, my name is Sakai Machachi and um, I'm here with my good friend Matthew. I'm Matthew Dowdle. I, I'm here with my friend Sakai Machachi <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, we've been asked to um, chat a little bit with the, the listening project today, so very excited to be asked to do that. Um, I suppose we should just talk a little bit about like who we are and what we do. Shall I start? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah, so I'm a recent graduate. I moved to Dundee about five years ago to study. So I studied politics and philosophy, which then branched out into a lot of the sort of mutual interests that Sakai and myself have. And then it kind of led us on to working on, with, on projects together. Um, but yeah, I'm really just like very interested in sort of things like queer politics, gender politics, and then exploring those through fashion. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and I'm uh, an artist. I work mostly in photography, but I would uh, describe myself as multidisciplinary. I am sort of working on a few projects at the moment. I've just recently like taken the leap of becoming a self-employed artist, which is very scary. Um, but also really exciting and um, really enjoying it at the moment. Um, and you were in vogue. I were I was kind of in vogue, but like just a little bit. <laughs> so you are Naomi Campbell. At this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I just uh, showed at Glasgow International Festival um, this year uh, with the collective I'm part of, Yon Afro, um, and uh, we got photographed for for Vogue UK and they put us on the website which was a bit crazy that is pretty cool yeah that was like my most recent like oh my god what's happening in my life moment <laughs> um, I was like oh my god for you <laughs> yeah you were telling everybody I was telling everybody <laughs> I was like people who have been Vogue Sakai Majachi, Naomi Campbell and then and you're like and then soon me <laughs> and then soon me give me a year um, so yeah, um, no, we've been working on a few different projects together because we had a lot of our sort of interests and um, yeah themes within our own like sort of work align in so many ways. Um, my work kind of is based on a sort of deep interrogation of the notion of self in relation to black feminine identities. So I kind of, uh, based on my own experience of life as a black woman, I've uh, been making a whole series of kind of creepy surreal photography pieces that um, <laughs> yeah that I suppose at first glance uh, might not necessarily be clearly about race but they're developed in relation to um, how I see my identity. What I think is quite interesting is we were having a conversation recently and because we met at your master's degree show and we were having conversations about the experiences for black artists because regardless of what you put out into the world, people assume that to be about blackness, regardless of whether it's anything to do with blackness. Yeah, I mean, like, originally, when I was in art school, I was in, like, in second year, and I was obsessed with um, dreams and lucid dreaming, and uh, I, I'm someone who suffers from something called sleep paralysis. Look it up, it's interesting. Oh, bitch, same. <laughs> yeah, and so, because I was having these, like, sleep disturbances and insomnia and all of these other things I had to make work about it almost in a sort of therapeutic sense so um, my work was based on this uh, state between sleeping and waking which is called the hypnagogic state and uh, yeah like everyone just kept on because I was like using myself as a model I was um, I didn't know any other black people so I was using myself as a model and people were just like 
all right, so it's about race. And I was just like, um, no, but I, I guess it is now. <laughs> but what's interesting is the fact that the fact that everybody kept kind of making these assumptions about your work actually created a bit of a drive to then actually make your work about race because you came to understand that regardless of what you do as a black artist, it is always going to be assumed that it is about race. So yeah. while it's kind of, an, it, it can be quite frustrating and reductive, it's also then acts as like fuel to then push yourself forward to create work that... It's kind of interesting. That's well. interesting, yeah. yeah. It and kind of, it makes it more dynamic because there's more, there's more to it than just like the, the thing that I might have been trying to express like people are seeing something else that um whether like rightly or wrongly they're seeing what they see um we were talking a little bit about like what you know how we see ourselves and our identities and then how we sort of navigate society's um way of seeing us yeah so i feel like for myself because i grew up in quite a small um disenfranchised town not even disenfranchised town. It was like a town off of a town. So it's it's really like seven miles away from anything. Um, and there was always so many expectations placed upon me in terms of what I was allowed to do. So when it came to my sexuality, there were really no gay people where I grew up. So it was just not a thing to be gay. And even... So nobody in my school came out... Um, and then, yeah, so there was really just all of these expectations to kind of compromise yourself in terms of the parameters of, like, heteronormative heteronormativity. Yeah. That is a mouthful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it really wasn't until I, I moved to Dundee um, after a few years of being here that I actually came out as gay. Mm -hmm. And I remember you kind of undergo a bit of a, an identity crisis because you spend so much of your, t your life apologizing for who you are. Or trying uh, to hide it. Or trying to hide yeah. it. And there are so many expectations placed upon you when you appear to be a straight man. So just the fact that I wasn't allowed to have colouring pencils. like Oh my it, god, that's so sad. It's so sad. My, my twin sister had colouring pencils um, one Christmas. And I got a model of a spaceship. And that was my toy. Wow, that's just so strange. Like, I suppose that's like the, the whole issue of like, um, you know, gender in relation to like what children are allowed to play with and what they're allowed to um so you, your sister had coloring pencils and you weren't allowed to even use her coloring pencils I, well, I, I, when i tried to use them it was i was told that i was being ungrateful because i'd been bought this like spaceship mm. and another year i got bought, bought skeletrics is that what they're called like those, yeah, those things yeah. that race around the track and I just didn't understand the point of them. I was like, but there's no objective here. They just go around regardless of what you do. <laughs> exactly. And and I also had no interest in, mm. in any of the things that people were buying for me. What so, were you interested in? Well, I was really interested in dancing. I was really interested in being creative, even from a really young age. But I was never allowed that. Yeah. Um, like, I never... I mean, you can vouch for the fact that we can both bust a move. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. we can definitely bust a move. Yes. And I always think like, give us a dance floor. Give us a dance floor. Give us like any Beyonce song, and the floor will soon be up. Yeah. And obliterated. Like whenever we leave a club, we just apologize to the bouncers and say sorry. We tore the dance floor up. You might want to replace it. Um, <laughs> but also, like, we have to be so careful not to end up just 
talking about Beyonce the entire way through this. Yeah. Like, I feel like we should have a Beyonce segment at some point, but... Like... We'll, we'll leave it to... We'll kind of warm people up at least first. But <laughs> it was just that whole... When I was... When I appeared to be a straight man, there were so many expectations. But then, even after I came out as gay, there were then so many expectations within the gay community to then be masculine. Mm. Um, so it's like as soon as you're alleviated of one set of expectations you become bound by another Um, so it's like at what point do you really just say I'm going to just be unapologetically who I am and what feels comfortable and also to recognise the fact that we constantly change as people yeah like and and we're always evolving and there are a million ways to be like any kind of person so like I feel as if like um, any assumption that a gay person is supposed to be like feminine or masculine is just absolutely ridiculous um you know it's really like different depending on the individual um and i would say like so your experience is more about like you kind of coming into an understanding of who you are and like being unapologetic about that and i would say that like mine is similar but because i'm very like obviously visibly black because i'm dark-skinned um, and because I was like originally born in Zimbabwe and like I came to Scotland when I was like four years old I sort of uh, grew up in a community full of white people who just like were very very like accommodating and welcoming and tolerant of me but you know I think that my um, my race is never gonna like not be like an issue in my life like when I am living in a, you know, in a society that is like predominantly white and it's not necessarily because of like overt racism I would say like Scotland's quite good for not having like insanely like you know I don't know like very very blatant racism or at least people aren't aware of their racism they're usually not aware of their racism and I would say that it's more I experience more like microaggressions which is like when people kind of like make passive aggressive or undercutting comments or like absentmindedly say something without thinking about what the implications of that might be um and i think like the experience of most people of color in this country is just of constantly being made to feel that they don't belong here whether they were born here or whether they've been here for their entire lives so i'm 28 years old and i've lived in this country for 24 years i don't really know like another home like zimbabwe is obviously like my home it's my ancestral home and like when i go back there i also don't feel like that much like i belong because I don't speak Shauna, which is the language my family speak. Um, and so, like, yeah, I feel like this issue of belonging's always been, like, there for me, whether that's because of the way people, uh, like, interact with me or because of, like, not really feeling like I'm Zimbabwean enough or Scottish enough for anyone. Um, and so I would say that for me, my identity, like, is always been kind of shaped through me like understanding that no matter what I do people are going to see me in certain kinds of ways um like we were talking a lot the other day about like you know the the build-up of all of these things that people say to me on a regular basis uh can lead to me getting quite frustrated and then like if I respond like to anything that someone says like one person says something after like a million. <laughs> after a million people saying something yeah. saying like something slightly racist one person says something and then i like react to that even though i've not reacted to the to so many of the other people and then i'm automatically labeled as this angry black woman which is 
kind of a trope in itself. And you were saying the other day that people often like misinterpret your your facial expressions as automatically being anger. Yeah. So you said that people sometimes misinterpret you being sad as actually you being angry yeah. because I think it just comes from a lot of people haven't really worked through their inherent racism and I think it's like people kind of it's the same way that a lot of um like the white demographic in terms of like the music industry and um the film industry and whatnot they only they rarely put their money in things that they consider to be other than themselves so the same way that um a lot of directors will cast white people white males um white straight cis males as the main characters in films because they know that the white demographic are going to put their money into that it's like people people have a sort of um they feel uncomfortable with things that appear other than them and rather than just try and interrogate their inherent racism and ask questions and get to know people they just kind of make assumptions or build their the way that they interact with people off stereotypes Mm -hmm. and it's also i think maybe if you're not regularly seeing see if you're not regularly seeing like black people sad on tv like so like you've not seen enough of what that looks like Mm. (laughs) you might actually interpret it as anger because you're like already kind of there's already this like threat of black people like black men are supposed to be scarier than every other man like black women are scarier than every other women we're supposed to be fierce and like you know like really like um yeah like staring people even though we're actually not and a lot of the time i've met women who are like super soft like the nicest like softest people in the world but everyone thinks they're angry all the time and it's literally just because they've got dark skin (laughs) yeah like even the other day we were we were um talking about the fact that on the reality tv show the x factor there was this contestant in like 2011 who ended up getting character assassinated by one of the judges which was then picked up by a ton of newspapers and she was described as being like fierce and quote unquote um and also for being a bully and for being a bully and there was nothing about her character that suggested that that was who she was yeah and And if you listen to her story she just sounded like someone who'd never really had a lot of support in her life and she just like she just seemed like she was quite sad like i just saw yeah i just saw her um yeah when she was talking about her life and how she'd never really had a family and stuff like that and i was just like oh she just seems like she's just like quite a vulnerable young woman <laughs> and obviously that is the experience for a lot of black women yeah and and this is the thing as well like there's to rehash um solange beyonce's mm-hmm. sister's um last album she talks about a lot of things like a the fact that black people in a lot of respects have a reason to be mad yeah. because of the like, like centuries hundreds of, of years of oppression yeah you know, whatever hundreds <laughs> like, of years of oppression just like the fact that they're constantly treated as like you know like almost like the other mm-hmm. um it's like the way that um de Beauvoir talks about like the other sex it's almost like black people like the other type of person for within like a society that is very eurocentric um and white centric um it's it's like they're always it's like yeah i kind of lost what i was saying but basic <laughs> basically basically um the white demographic in terms of shows like the x factor a don't want to a aren't going to get behind black musicians um or even like white a- black actors 
Mm-hmm. Um, but, also- but I don't think people realize. I don't think they're doing it like in this like very overtly racist way. I think they it's like a subconscious thing a lot of the time where people are kind of um they're not voting for the the black contestant they but they're not they're like I'm not racist but they don't realize that like it's not that you have to vote for them it's just that like sometimes they're objectively the best person on the show yeah and you're just kind of like what what's going on well I think that's why with Misha Bryan the person that we were talking about Mm -hmm. she was very clearly the most fully realized pop star um, out of all of the people on the show. Yeah. So it we were made... talking about how we don't even know who won that, that year. We don't even know who won that year. <laughs> it made genuinely no sense, the fact yeah. that she didn't win. Mm-hmm. And it was because people just assassinated her character. And there was no other reason, other than the fact that she was black, that would make sense as to why that happened. It's like, they've clearly just done that because of the colour of her skin. And either the show thought that she wasn't marketable because she's black selling to a white audience, mm-hmm. or the newspapers um, decided to just pick up that story because a lot of these newspapers do have a history of creating um, like headlines and whatnot that encourage racism. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I was like trying to figure out how I was going to slip Beyonce into this. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> no, I was thinking about when Adele was like receiving the um, the album of the year award and yeah. for 21, which was a really good album, but like Lemonade came out the same year. So it was just like, how did this happen? Um, and Adele herself said like, um, I love the way that like Beyonce makes me feel about myself. And she said specifically, I love the way that Beyonce makes my black friends feel right and people were like really angry at Adele for saying that but like Lemonade was an album that was specifically like geared towards uplifting and empowering black women and I don't think people realized that like I think a lot of people didn't get that that was the point of the album Um, and I remember like the first time I watched it like all the way through I was just like I was so emotional I was just crying the whole way through it like it was just so like important like just I remember so important. we were I remember we were literally messaging one another mm-hmm. when, while we were watching it the first time and I think it was just like a series of like oh my god oh my god oh my god and then it was like a million emojis yeah and, and then just an, it was just a whirlwind but like people think that like uh lemonade was about Jay-Z cheating on her and it's like it's a component of it it's like obviously there but it was also about intergenerational trauma and like the way that like black men treat black women within their communities and within their families um and the sort of ways that like we have to still uh be be very um supportive and protective of black men despite the way that they sometimes treat us badly and that's literally like yeah there's a lot in there about how for centuries like the ways that black people were being oppressed by white supremacy have kind of translated into a lot of problems within the, like the black communities, not just in America, but like it's a, it's something that as a Scottish black woman, I still was really touched by. Yeah, I think I find it really, really strange that white people often can't allow things to not be for them. Mm-hmm. Like there are some things that like they can appreciate and they can enjoy, mm-hmm. but they're not geared specifically for them. And I think a lot of the issues that people had with what Adele said was it some it painted this picture of like lemonade not being for white people but it wasn't for white people but it's also like, like i feel like it, you you sh- if you appreciated it and understood what it was trying to do is it not like 
sometimes I think like why can't people empathize enough to realize that like sometimes like this group of people need something yeah you know they might need to just be re like retold how beautiful they are yeah. how amazing they are like how um yeah that need for being uplifted exists and you can still enjoy it like no there's not a single song on that album that if i was white i couldn't enjoy yeah you know and there's not a single visual on that album that i couldn't enjoy if i was white i think it's just the the just the words like the way you made my black friends feel were just like enough for people to just go and attack adele and it was just like adele was being very honest and very clear that this is the injustice of the fact that Lemonade was not just a, a, a amazing album um, in terms of the music, but it also had all these amazing visuals too. It was so perfectly made. It was like a beautifully packaged product. And like 21 was a great album, but like They're she was not. like, I can't compare myself to that. Like it's not, I'm saying it's not fair, you know? So. <laughs> and I think whenever you consider the fact that you know, award ceremonies like the Grammys, it's supposed to be, like, you know, the highest possible accolade in terms of, like, you know, musical excellence. Yeah. And I just feel that most of the time that isn't that isn't the case. It's like... If and... Lemonade wasn't on the roster that year, Adele's album should have won. Period. Yeah. <laughs> Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. yeah. But I, that's just maybe me coming from my Beyonce obsession. And the thing is, the Grammys <laughs> shouldn't really just it shouldn't if it is priding itself as being like this you know accolade of musical excellence it shouldn't just be like most of the time the people that are being nominated in the first place are all white so therein lies the issue of the lack of representation and a lot of the time it does just come down to like what albums are selling the best to a white demographic mm -hmm. so yeah there's a lot of issues with grammys in general i think there's a lot of issues with like the way that the ways in which like uh, people are awarded for their work in general like for example like um i would say that like the next award season if black panther doesn't like win everything i'll just be like they're all racist <laughs> 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 but it's just because it's like okay well that was an amazing movie like objectively yeah um i always say objectively when it's just like yeah, yeah no, but, but come on now like <laughs> but i mean if there was like criteria for like what a good film is i feel yeah. like black panther like is obviously it? nothing is objective but really like let's let's it was let's almost, be real it was almost perfect, it was almost perfect <laughs> objectively apart from the accents which were um interesting they were interesting shall we say yeah what kind what kind of accent is that <laughs> oh I, hate, I, I, hate I like it i like your it's not an original joke but i thought it wasn't. it's it's a kind of variation of another joke but the mm -hmm. joke itself is sort of original yeah okay but we can move on from that <laughs> but yeah so um yeah you were going to talk a little bit about like your um you know coming into your, your understanding of yourself and like um also just how you, amazing it is right now to be in the lgbt community yeah i thought so the same way that you probably didn't see much of yourself reflected on screen mm -hmm. when you were growing up, it's it's the same for people who aren't, you know, straight, cis, etc., etc. It's like there were never really um, representations of romance for gay people when I was growing up. I think the first time that I actually knew that gayness existed was, I remember when I was like nine, there was a scene in Big Daddy 
oh that Adam God. Sandler film. Really? Where is Adam Sandler? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but there was there was a kiss between these two guys, and I remember watching it with my family, and I think like my extended family were over as well because it was around about Christmas time, and there was just there was this kiss, and I remember it just being like so there was just so much happening inside of my body and I was like oh my god is this actually happening Mm -hmm. and I kind of looked around to like like get a sense of the room Mm -hmm. and everyone was kind of like looking away or you know well they were like acting as if it was gross yeah they I don't think my mum did but I know that a lot of my extended family were Mm. were kind of at least expressing you know a bit of a discomfort I do a lot of those influences a lot of the people in their their that room are no longer in my life anyway so Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter but that kind of made me aware of the fact that being gay was a valid a valid experience even well not well i would say to an extent Mm -hmm. i mean i knew that being gay was possible and i knew that some of some of the feelings that i was repressing were valid um and then are you like old enough to have seen sugar rush did you watch it i watched yeah. sugar rush i yeah, loved sugar okay. rush yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, st- I just remember being like oh my god this is amazing also, literally also like should i feel this way <laughs> I know. I was, like all that all that feminine energy yeah it was, so it was good. beautiful i loved sugar rush like mm-hmm. i really liked sugar rush there was even i remember for some reason when i was growing up i was allowed to watch shameless Oh my god, shameless! It was so British. <laughs> it was just like, it was great, and do you know what? I still to this day don't feel like the American Shameless. Okay, I've not really watched it that much, but I just don't. It doesn't make sense to me because what, the like American one? because like I feel as if like there obviously are people who are like there are like white people who are very like d- like sort of poor and disenfranchised and stuff like that in America, but I didn't feel like they were representing that like in the way that it would truly be there they were they were still kind of bringing this very british like experience of poverty but with terrible well like either like terrible british accents or just no they did they did definitely have like american accents it was like an american family but i just thought it was weird to translate this very very british show to america i just i just didn't understand i don't yeah i don't understand when they do that because Mm -hmm. it's they did it with skins as they well. Did it with, and it oh my god! With it was skins. terrible. It was I don't so know bad. what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember in Shameless there was also depictions of gay sex, mm-hmm. and I think that was the first time I'd ever seen like gay sex mm-hmm. um, depicted on screen, and that was like, oh my god! Yeah. I can't like, and I remember watching it with my sisters. I don't. I can't remember them. I remember just like the entire time, like, ex- like almost trying to act as though it wasn't a thing or that. It was in no way of interest. Yeah. Even though my sisters probably knew that it was. Um, but then, yeah, it's just... The more you kind of see yourself in the media that you watch and, like, the films that you watch or the TV shows or... And it not just being, like, the sort of... You know, like, the likes of, like, Alan Carr, who mm-hmm. is sort of there to fit a role. It kind of feels like people like Alan Carr were always... Because they are... They're only allowed to be there because they're exactly what gay people like people expect of gay people yeah they want them to be like kind of like quite feminine and like flamboyant and things like that and it's just like it's a very stereotypical view of what a gay person is in general yeah it's like if you're gonna be gay you kind of need to fit every expectation of mm-hmm. what we consider to be gayness yeah. and i feel like that was the only representation that i ever experienced mm-hmm. um 
There's so, also Graham Norton. I love Graham Norton. I, I do like to Graham Norton. To this day, I love him so he's much. He's just so shady. <laughs> he's he's so shady. <laughs> On Eurovision. <laughs> he fully just he fully just does not care about his guests either. He yeah, like will he doesn't, rip like, them apart. It doesn't matter who it is, like, <laughs> at all. But yeah. yeah, so, like, yeah, in relation to that, I just feel, like, obviously, um, it is a different experience. But for me, I think when I started to really come into, like, my own in terms of like being more unapologetically black was probably when I decided to um go natural like with my hair and I'd been like straightening my hair for years and uh yeah I just I think one day I just thought I'm not doing this anymore because you know it's painful and it like it damages your hair so much and I just could tell that like I was gonna lose my hair it was like thinning and thinning and it was just getting terrible and then um, I just decided, I don't remember watching anyone else on YouTube before going natural. I remember making a decision at 19 that I was going to do it and then doing it and then finding this huge, like, you know, natural hair movement online afterwards and being like, oh, like, I must have just, I don't know, got a message from like <laughs> the universe to do this thing. Because it was just like, how, how did I know? To, like it was time do you yeah. know what I mean and um, I watched loads of YouTubers I remember do you, you know Francesca Ramsey I remember yeah. watching her from like back when she was like her main thing was doing natural hair videos and like Hey Fran Hey from like um, the uh, what's it called the Friend Zone podcast as well like I watched them like all the time and uh, learning like how to take care of it because when you've been doing something like straightening your hair your whole life like you don't know how to take care of your natural hair you can't like you've never had to do it so I remember having to like sort of learn from the ground up I did the big chop like shaved all my hair off and then just had to like figure it out from there and um I've had about five afros like because I used to just shave it off at the beginning of each year and then like start again (laughs) um but now I've decided that I want to grow it like really long um so that's like been like a journey in itself and like it's ever since that I've just felt more like I don't know like happy with myself like this is what I'm supposed to look like this is my hair as it grows out of my head I do have to deal with people touching my hair every now and again but like you know what can we do (laughs) I know whenever whenever that happens when we're together I'm like how are you not aware that this is like this is not okay (laughs) like have you and then there was even that girl that the white girl that we met that had white braids. No, she had um, um, white braids. She had gotten her braids put into her hair. Yeah. And then, oh no, I wasn't with you. That was with Misha. Misha. Oh my God. Yeah, I, I don't know if I told you about that, but I was literally with one of my friends, Misha, and this white girl came over and like grabbed her hair and asked her where she got it done. Um, And this white girl also had braids in. And I was like, there was so much wrong with this situation. Like yeah. firstly those braids are going to fall out in a couple of days because your hair, you do not have the right, like, hair to support braids. And they also look like they're already falling out. I think um, it's also, it's a shame because I do think that um, it, it it does more damage than it it does good for, like, for straight hair to yeah. have braids in. But for us, it's actually, it's a protective style. I think a lot of people don't realise that it's not just for the look. It's also a way for us to protect our hair from like from sunlight, from sun damage, from um, 
like the elements basically and to uh, help us grow our hair so like if you've got your hair in braids it it kind of weighs it down so it pulls the root and like allows it to grow a little bit faster than it would um otherwise so like braiding your hair is just like one of these things that like people of African descent have been doing for pure like thousands of years or whatever so I don't know it's kind of one of those like yeah it's kind of like it becomes like your identity because Mm -hmm. also I think the reason that so many you know black musicians are so vocal about things like their hair and what it means to who they are is because there's so there's there's a lot of history in terms of you know where um where braiding comes from and also the fact that for so long that braids and um natural hair were kind of considered to be quite unprofessional Mm -hmm. and so people almost were forced to straighten their hair and whatnot yeah like it was considered like unkempt because it kind of like sticks out all around your head so it's not um people can't see like when it's neat like they don't know like if it's neat or not and i'm just like i know that the difference between my hair when it's neat and when it's not is quite vast for me but like i think a lot of people don't really realize like what like a nicely put, put together afro looks like so if i was to I don't know, I've 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 went for a job interview once with Brazen and then like I showed up like for my first day like with my Afro out and I was just like, Well, you know, you've given me the job already, so <laughs> <laughs> what, what are you gonna do? <laughs> you can't fire me for having an Afro <laughs> <laughs> But again it's like also it's it's one of those things that it's like it's almost like a lot for so long black people have been making apologies for the fact that they're just literally wearing their hair in the way that their hair is supposed to be worn it's literally the way that it grows out their head and i feel like there are ways that hair is naturally supposed to be kept the Mm. same way that white people shouldn't really have braids because it doesn't work for their their hair the same it it actually pulls out your hair it pulls out your hair and the same way that straightening your hair is just going to damage it Mm -hmm. it's like there are ways that and like the reason i'd be doing that is to assimilate um into the culture like if you get what i mean like straightening my hair was just to try and fit in more and i always wanted it to like to flow like i always wanted like movement you know like I, i wanted to be able to kind of like whip my hair and it's just funny because like now i put my hair into twists like uh once or twice a week and i get that movement because like it like the way that i've done it like it actually does have it naturally and i could have been doing that like my whole life <laughs> and instead i've like wasted 19 years of my hair like <laughs> you know but um i was gonna talk to you a bit as well about um like the your clothes and like the way you dress and you know how you feel about that in relation to your identity yeah so i feel like obviously after i made the kind of as soon as i'd kind of became comfortable with the fact that I wasn't straight, you know, after spending so long repressing that that aspect of my identity, I kind of I kind of start to think back of all of the times that, you know, I was told that I wasn't allowed to, you know, wear certain things or use certain things, and it was really just like from like being a child, just these were just the things that I was attracted to, you know, um, I would see like bright colors and I would want to put them on my body, but the fear of being marginalized or laughed at kind of was enough pressure for me to not do that. And I remember I went to a non-school uniform day once and I was wearing like bright yellow trousers, literally just because I liked the color yellow. And I remember, I know, and I got called faggot. I got Mm. like bullied quite badly. 
I think the only person that actually was like fairly supportive was one of my teachers who was a fashionista. I mean, he was a man, but he was a fashionista. Nice. And I feel like that was enough validation now. Like now when I think back, I'm like, that was all the validation I needed, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Um, and then I think just like the expectations that are rooted in gender, you know, we're forced into such narrow boxes for our entire lives. It's like we're told what we can wear. We're told to manage our walk. We're told to, you know, express ourselves in a very particular way. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just so boring. Like, I just don't find it interesting. Um, Like, I love to wear makeup. I love to wear skirts. I love to wear dresses. I love to really just, like, not, you know, not to restrict myself in in, yeah. in, in and any way. to express way. yourself, like, and it's, the thing is, it's, like, you wouldn't be you, like, if you weren't, like, wearing something totally extra every single day. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think almost it's, like, people, yeah, people almost expect that from me. Or they expect not to really expect what I'm going to wear. And yeah. it's and it's not coming from... It's, it is quite performative because mm-hmm. I want people to have sort of an insight as to, like, how I'm feeling on that day. Mm-hmm. You know, I do feel like identity is very performative because we are never the same person from one day to another we are constantly changing and i feel like you know playing on the performative nature of identity and really just like wearing what what feels right on any given day is just so it comes so naturally to me it goes like so far to like help you feel good about yourself even if you're feeling quite down you can just like i don't know you put something on and then you feel like yeah i'm i'm a star so like before you even like leave the house you've already given yourself a boost you know what i mean and i feel like um i definitely do that but i feel like i i don't um i fluctuate between needing to be just comfortable and happy with my like you know i'd like to just wear joggies and like a t-shirt and feel comfortable quite a lot of the time but then I also you know I can like turn a look oh like. I know I know <laughs> and I love it like on a on like a, a big night like a big night out I'll definitely like put a lot of effort in or if I've got an exhibition opening I'll always be there like with something epic on but it's just I really enjoy that feeling of being like kind of almost like a piece of art like you know just yeah. like walking in like my hair is like sculptural my my like clothes are like really bright and just yeah like you can see me like for miles even though I'm like four foot eleven yeah I think sometimes <laughs> people just like it's like you said to me recently it's like you look like one of those people that are just going to be rich one day because you already <laughs> dress like you're rich yeah. and I think it's just because I could never find the clothes that I wanted to wear it's almost like the way that clothes are designed a lot of the time because I was for so long shopping in in men like in shops that are gendered towards men or within the sections that are gendered towards men i i found that i could never really find the things for my body that i wanted to wear specifically because i don't feel like i have a particularly masculine shape like obviously i do but that's not how i feel Mm -hmm. you know i actually never wear men's like i said clothes clothes are clothes they are fabric they don't have feelings they don't Mm -hmm. they, they don't have gender and also gender doesn't exist anyway Mm -hmm. but they don't they're not conscious things they're just fabric so really we should build our own relationship with the things that we choose to put on our body yeah but obviously you know designers retailers they they gender clothing in Um, order to sell them towards certain groups of people but i think 
because I spent so long being unable to find the clothes that I could put on my body and feel comfortable I learned to shop in like thrift shops and charity shops and really just to become less um less concerned about the way that things fit my body Uh like things could be slightly too big like a crop top could be slightly too big and instead it's a regular top or you know short shorts could be booty shorts Uh or do you know do you know what I mean it's like they don't you don't need to wear them in the way that you're told that That they're supposed supposed to be worn yeah and I also like for me color is like super important in terms of like how I dress and um I think a lot of people don't really realize this but um you know like some seasons like so for example there were a few years when um the season the summer season clothes were this like everything in the shops were this like coral like this kind of like pinky peachy color which does not suit me at all right and i thought i was like kind of annoyed because i was like how can all of the shops be selling this like this color and like not realizing that there's like a huge amount of people and that not a huge amount but there's a whole demographic of people who can't wear that like it looks horrible on us you know and and i was just like realizing that the color each season like will determine whether i'm gonna follow trend like i don't follow trend most of the time but like if it's like if the color of the season is like bright red then i'm gonna probably wear a lot of the things that are in the shops but if um if they've chosen something like really pale and what's considered to be was it nude or skin tone which yeah. is like just like one group of people's skin tone um i can't wear it like and so um i tend to just like to buy things that i like like regardless of whether it's what's in right now i don't even know how to dress based on what's in right now anymore to be honest (laughs) because a lot of the time they're really only considering a white demographic Mm -hmm. the same way with makeup yeah i mean it's i mean fenty like oh god rihanna she's just like totally like she just showed that it can be done like that was the only thing she needed to do like she she created a really amazing line of makeup but it was just like um sort of show not tell situation where it's like i can tell you all day and i can ask you and beg you all day to like give me um foundation and concealer and other types of makeup that actually work for my skin tone i can just keep on like complaining and complaining that i don't have access to that or i can just like literally show you how easy it would be or how possible it is to give every single woman from like no matter what whether they're the palest women in the world to the darkest skinned women like a foundation that will match their skin and she just did it <laughs> and i'm just like i'm still i'm still shook to this day <laughs> i'm just like thank you so much <laughs> i know and it's, it's a shame that it's taken so long for because obviously the way that the beauty industry works is they make people feel insecure yeah but that, and that's then their to, whole point <laughs> to sell them things but really they're making they're still making black girls feel insecure mm-hmm. but then they're giving them nothing to then to then correct that and because makeup's supposed to make you feel beautiful yeah i mean i don't think it's i I think that the whole beauty industry is kind of bullshit but Mm -hmm. i think if they're they're selling this ideal of beauty but then giving black girls no tools to then feel beautiful it's kind of like telling them that they're not beautiful you're just like you're just not beautiful and i remember like i found the perfect makeup in mac right perfect great for my skin i've got really sensitive skin and uh it's the right skin tone like it's the right um pigment for me 
and uh, I, I kept on going into Mac shops like and and also Mac took a really long time to like come to Scotland first of all so when when they finally came to Scotland I'd go into the shops and they would just not have my colour like all the time even though I knew they had that that, that pigment was part of their collection it just wasn't ever there and then um, eventually it was like there like more often and then for the last like six years I've known exactly what my makeup is I walk into the shop and I say like this is and I, I just buy it like without even having to, t- to talk to anyone because I know exactly what it is and they've discontinued it I'm just what? like <laughs> I know that um, why <laughs> I know it's one of those things and, and that's the way that capitalism works isn't yeah. it it's like they'll create things to meet the demands of of their main demographic without really taking into consideration you know mm-hmm. just generally being decent and like ensuring that they're being inclusive and that's why you know it's, it's and we buy things and, this and, is the yeah. thing we, we spend our money and I think like one thing that um, Black Panther showed and like what Fenty showed is just that like it is profitable to market to us like it's not we're not like the, the forgot we shouldn't be the forgotten demographic anymore like we will spend when you give us something to spend money on yeah <laughs> like you know it's the same way that um you know a lot of companies are now um capitalizing on pride season oh my god like i mean the way that pride is being like it's everywhere yeah. there are rainbow flags everywhere and which is great like it's really nice but it's also kind of like but like you're not doing it... anything for gay people or lgbtq plus people mm-hmm. you're doing nothing for these people you're just capitalizing on them like i think adidas have done a range of trainers and they have it's like i feel i felt really bad because one of my friends had bought a pair of trainers he's straight um and they had the rainbow flag on them Mm -hmm. and i remember he was like look i'm such an ally and then i was like so what have adidas ever done for gay people Mm -hmm. or i keep saying gay people because i'm gay Mm -hmm. but i mean lgbtq plus um and he was like oh what do you mean and i was like well have they actually ever done anything for the community that they're capitalizing off Mm-hmm. and he was like oh well i assumed so and then we both like looked into it and i think it, it didn't actually specify what they donate i think they donate up to it's probably like a tiny tiny percentage mm-hmm. of the money that they're making off of these like 100 pound trainers yeah and i just i find that i feel like that is just not enough like converse 100 percent of their profits go to i think it's like a stonewall charity or something of the sort and i feel like that is really what if companies are going to capitalize off of pride season because at the end of the day if even if they don't make money off of one of their ranges of trainers or whatever they're gonna make money off of their other ranges of trainers because because people people feel like they're a brand worth putting their money into off the back of that do you know what i mean because they're considered to be like super tolerant or like open so then people are like oh like now i can feel comfortable about giving my money to them yeah Yeah. but I, i do feel that there are brands that do support mm-hmm. pride and to have a history of supporting pride yeah. and they are companies that i would support if i was gonna buy these things mm-hmm. you're, you're going to berlin pride aren't you yeah i'm going yeah. to so this will be my first pride i'm going really? to seriously yeah. all these years like, all what? these years i don't know there was always just something about pride that i just i just wasn't wasn't into i also feel like obviously a lot of it was just to do with the fact that there are these you know there's kind of like a an expectation within the gay community um the gay community specifically to kind of not be a gay gay you know mm. and to people 
hearing that they might they might not understand what that means is that like the gay community like that you've experienced in dundee or is that the gay community because i feel like when i go to glasgow i meet quite a lot of like quite openly gay people when i go to like gay bars and stuff like that i don't don't mean i don't mean so more just that there there are people understand what it is to be gay in a very specific way Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of people because the world is still patriarchal even within the gay community there's still people still favor you know masculinity within the gay community and people still almost favor this idea of people being straight acting Mm -hmm. like that is like a term that's thrown around quite a lot and so i feel like that was a lot of i had to work through that in order to really you know be be fully comfortable with who i was and i think there was just something about pride that i was always just a bit put off by yeah but i I remember always being like put off by the fact that it's outside in scotland like you know what i mean i'd be like yeah let me like go and stand in the rain for like (laughs) i'm like hours like i'm an ally but no (laughs) (laughs) no but honestly i I remember like going to pride a few times in glasgow and it was just pouring down the entire time and just being like okay this is really nice like i'm really loving like the vibes and everything but like i can't (laughs) yeah yeah well i'm excited for berlin pride Mm -hmm. i mean i've been to berlin before and i loved it yeah. So I'm excited. And I also feel like people in Berlin are just very open and free. And mm-hmm. I don't want to say free because that sounds like a Miley Cyrus song. But, <laughs> you know, like they're, they, they're very open. They're open people. And so I'm excited yeah. to see what that has to offer. Well, I'm off to see Beyonce again. You are in Paris. in Paris. Yes, I know. We went to see her in Glasgow and they didn't play the new the new album at all in Glasgow. And then... I had already bought tickets for Paris as well because I'm going with one of my besties and my boyfriend. So going to see her like Saturday. Not better. Not, not better. better at all. No, I'm just... You still got to see her. <laughs> I got to see her. I got to see her, but there was far too much of Jay-Z there. There was so much Jay-Z. <laughs> I like subconsciously cut him out of all of the videos and didn't even realise. There's li- just hilarious. so many recordings and it's literally just Beyonce singing and dancing and you can hear Jay-Z singing. And I'm like, I subconsciously cut him out. Like, I'm still not over the fact that he cheated on her. <laughs> and I'm not even aware of it. It's so Freudian. But It's just, like, in there, the recesses of your mind. Like, I'll, he I'll, doesn't exist. He doesn't exist. Well, I'll live through you come mm-hmm. Saturday. Yeah. I think it's... I'll, I'll be sending you, like, loads of, like, FaceTimes or, like, you know, yeah. video messages and stuff while I'm there. If I remember. If I'm, <laughs> yeah. not, if I'm not just, like, totally, Staring. like, in awe. <laughs> in awe of Beyonce. Yeah, so... Aye. What else? Have we... <laughs> I don't know what what else have we been up to? I know it's I know it's um Glasgow Pride on Saturday, Is which I'm, I'm half considering going to, but also, also we'll see. I I've been in Glasgow while there have been prides on in the past, and for some mm-hmm. reason I just like completely just bypassed it. Bypassed them. I think I ended up just like I don't know getting drunk in the West End instead, <laughs> and I was like I'm not one of those gays. Look at me. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking beer. Yeah, well, it's record. a nice year for it. Like it's really nice and warm, so I would I would probably try and pop try and by. get through. Yeah, no, I think mm-hmm. I think I might. Um, I'm gonna be missing it this year, sadly. I mean, you're still gonna be at Beyonce. I'm not. I'm going to see Beyonce instead, so it's fine. But um, yeah, I don't know what else. To <laughs> so I was thinking we could have maybe talked about um, like maybe art that has been put out in like the last year that has had a very has been very prolific in terms of like putting forward um themes of like black identity mm-hmm. so people like solange yeah so like obviously the a seat at the table album um was just ugh, it was just wonderful like really beautiful like the music was great but 
also the messaging was just like really important as well and I think because Solange hasn't got as big a following as like Beyonce it was quite nice to kind of have that as like a kind of just a thing that like I was aware of and like I could like enjoy without you know the sort of like fanfare around it like Beyonce albums and stuff and I thought the the song Fubu so mm-hmm. it's for us by us that kind of touches on things like cultural appropriation mm-hmm. and I feel like a lot of the time that song was so necessary even though mm-hmm. that isn't going to reach a lot of the people that it needs to reach yeah but I mean like see the amount of times I try to explain what cultural appropriation is to people is just like they don't understand oh, why it's a thing they so, don't get it like it's I think people think we're all people we should be able to share each other's stuff and obviously that's true and like we should be inspired by anything and everything that we see but it's more about like having an understanding and a respect of where things come from and being um and and paying like some sort of respect to that by saying that so like if you if for example you're like wearing box you're wearing uh cornrows if you decide to call them boxer braids instead of like calling them cornrows because you know that that's that's what, what they what kim, are kim kardashian yeah is a problem yeah well i mean it's not even just her it's like her and like a whole movement of people who just like will take a thing that like is from a culture and then like wear it and then it's like so acceptable on them but it's not acceptable on the people who actually created it and then they they'll call it something else they'll like rename it and i even think like for example like i i've been doing a lot of yoga recently but like the yoga like world or the yoga movement is just like so it kind of annoys me like how much it kind of like is it's so whitewashed at this point that it's like kind of insane like yeah. I, it, it's almost like you don't it's hard to even remember that it's like it where it comes from and what like it's supposed to be do you know what I mean like people doing like kitten yoga and stuff like that <laughs> I do kitten yoga because I have kittens but that's like <laughs> they, they're just in the house and I'm doing yoga and they're there what is kitten yoga people like literally were going to like yoga and then there were cats there like they were just like <laughs> do you know what I mean or um, this these people were like making a joke of like oh let's do beer yoga so they'd get like some hops and like have it sitting next to them that while sounds they were doing... awful but that was supposed to be a joke but it ended up just becoming a thing oh. and there's like loads of these sort of weird things online of people being yeah kind of almost like taking the essence of what something actually is and where it comes from and just making it something else and I just feel it's like no one's saying you can't do yoga no one's saying you can't put your hair in cornrows no one's saying you can't wear like whatever you want put a bindi on your head if you want to but be respectful of where it comes from and like understand that like if someone if someone from that culture lets you know how they feel about it like that they're not happy with you wearing it then you know it's because it's because it's like coming from their culture and, and they have every right to feel a bit uncomfortable with it and the thing is like people again as to rehash what i said earlier people have such a problem with things not being for them yeah. but if the narrative for so long has been you know black black people being oppressed and told that natural hair looks unkept and they've been told to um straighten their hair or whatnot in term in, in order to kind of fit the expectations within that society then you could understand why it might then be annoying that white people then can wear braids and they don't have this same oppression yeah like there are kids who have been like um sort of suspended from school for wearing their hair in braids 
or wearing their hair natural. Even in South Africa, which is a predominantly black country, there were kids that were like being told that they couldn't come to school, they couldn't learn because their hair was natural. Like that's isn't that ridiculous? Yeah. So it's just that thing of um, if you understand like the the ways that people get treated for wearing their traditional dress or um, wearing their hair in a certain way it and then you, you you can get away with it that's probably why people are not happy that's why cultural appropriation is such a like annoying thing to explain all the time or to kind of have to um <laughs> have to witness like when people have dreads and i'm just like i why? i don't have i don't have the energy to explain to you why this isn't okay <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, I don't like the whole um, notion of just being, well, I'm not racist, so, and I feel like we should all just be able to share because it's like, it's like black people were never really granted the privilege to kind of just, to have that sort of point of view. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? They, they had to be aware of the fact that they were black because mm-hmm. people were constantly telling them that they were black or, like you said earlier, experiencing microaggressions mm-hmm. and things of of that nature. Being made not to feel like you belong somewhere. And I was like thinking about that, um, how you know people weren't able to uh, watch a TV show or something that has black people in it without feeling like, oh, this isn't really, I don't get this because you know they're black or whatever. But I have to like always put myself into the space of like white characters. So like, do you get what I mean? Like I've I've been brought up to like identify with white characters all the time, and then like. I find it funny that when people are being asked to identify with a black character or any like ethnic minority person or a gay person on t- on screen, they're just like, I, I don't get this. It's like, it doesn't make sense to me. It's like, well, that doesn't, <laughs> that's what I have to do every day. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you have to watch love stories, like heterosexual love stories all the time. And like th- that is sort of, um, I don't know. There's like nothing wrong with that, but it's also just like, you have to identify with the characters and like, be like oh yeah that that's probably how they feel like when call me by your name came out um earlier this year was it earlier th- i think it maybe was last year but then it got mm-hmm. like i think it was part of a film festival and then mm-hmm. caught people caught on and then it became this like huge film i remember just um i was watching it with one of my friends who was straight and i remember just thinking because they were a bit reluctant to watch it not even not because it was like a gay narrative but just i think they just weren't as um they weren't gravitating towards it in the same way that I was Mm -hmm. and I I remember just thinking I've had to watch The Notebook (laughs) and you know all of these like really piss poor heterosexual narratives for so long like you will watch this film yeah um because like this is really just this is like me finally feeling like I am being reflected onto like a film and and it be like not and it to be a narrative that actually is one where like both of the characters actually have meaningful experiences and have like it's not built built with the conflict of being like attacked the whole time right like so it's like they they can just love each other and that's like that's the story that you're not having the tension of like oh like they're gonna get caught for being gay and they're gonna get beaten up like you know well there's a bit of that but it's not Mm -hmm. like but there's kind of like a happy ish Mm -hmm. ending i mean it's not like there's there's a lot of kind of Underly- there's a lot of the underlying tension that I feel like most gay people experience where, you know, if they're having those sort of relationships or experiences with people within societies that don't accept pe- them for being gay, 
then a lot of it has to be very like obviously under under wraps and whatnot so there is there is themes of that nature but there's also like really lovely scenes where it's like this is literally just a romantic film Mm -hmm. for gay people and that was all i really wanted from that film exactly yeah but what i thought was um interesting was i also went to see do you know the film love simon no, I've not seen it yet. But it's, yeah, you were talking to me about oh it before. Oh my god. So it's essentially like, if Call Me By Your Name was produced by the Disney Channel, <laughs> that's kind of how it felt. It was really? genuinely like, I, I actually, it was quite painful to watch. Really? I kept making jokes that I was like, this is actually making me homophobic. Like, <laughs> I was making jokes with like, the, the guy that I was seeing at the time. I was like, why is, why is this film making me homophobic? Yeah. Because it was just so it was just so it, was it like pretty little liars level it was like worse because okay so my niece watches pretty little liars like she loves it but i remember like watching it for like 10 minutes and being like the lesbian characters don't seem believable <laughs> give me realism i'm genuinely well the i don't know I, I i don't even know how to like really explain what was happening in the film because it's I just I ended up switching off for a lot of it, mm-hmm. but the the ending was just so unrealistic. It was like so picture perfect, like you know, it was it and I don't know. It just it did it didn't feel believable for me because I was like that is no gay, gay person's experience. Yeah, you know, it's it's never like that for gay people. Mm-hmm. Like we don't we don't get to have that. Was it like as if it was um the story was like within a vacuum where like Genuinely. there is no homophobia. There's no homophobia doesn't exist within. <laughs> And it's the fact it's set in a school, but it, for some reason, most of the people in the school just happen to be really, really tolerant. And I was like, and also for the fact that one of the characters that he ends up falling in love with is also black. So it's like, this isn't really at all how this happens. This isn't how it happens at all. <laughs> and I remember later finding out that the main character isn't even played by a gay person. Oh, God. And I was like, could yeah. you not have found a gay person to play him? Like, he's not even that good an actor. You could have found someone that was as piss poor at acting mm-hmm. that was also a homosexual. Yeah. I remember... I don't know if you've ever watched Sense8. Have you watched it? I think I watched a bit of the first episode, but yeah. I, I I, don't know if I... You weren't really, pick, like, getting it. I think like, I just passed out. I don't even yeah. know. Well, like, Sense8 was also one of those, like, you know, show-not-tell situations where it's just like, okay, so do you see this? Like, the trans character is being played by a trans woman. The... Um, the gay people are gay like all of these characters um like uh, three or four of them are bi they're all kind of like living in in like the story of sensei is bizarre to tell it doesn't make any sense like <laughs> try uh, okay so there are eight people <laughs> <laughs> okay and they are kind of connected to each other like they were all born at the same time on the same day like and they are almost like a, a, a hive mind like they're like uh, but they all live in different parts of the world so um, it was the most expensive show that Netflix have ever tried to make and it was made by Lana Wachowski from the Wachowskis okay. and it was like basically <laughs> one of these like sci-fi thriller like uh, like drama but like with a little bit of comedy and light hearts so it, it was doing so much and it was being filmed in all of these different locations all around the world so it was like so expensive to make that they had to stop making it oh god which is really sad but it was like very very like you know lab- it was laboring the point of like tolerance like nobody's business because it was like really diverse um the cast was like from all these different parts of the world like they i felt as if like they gave as many different identities a spotlight as they could yeah and um 
you know, it got a little bit cheesy and stuff at times, but it was because I think like we've not really seen that kind of like those kinds of relationships being depicted. They had like polyamorous relationships in it. Mm. Um like yeah, gay and like um people with like um yeah, just so hard to explain, but like a wide spectrum of different kinds of identities were being showcased. And I was just like, oh yeah, it's possible, see? <laughs> like, this is, this is, like, like, note to Scarlett Johansson, you don't need to play a trans person. Oh, but I would say, I, I'm going to say this, like, Scarlett Johansson isn't the one to blame. It's definitely di- the director who continuously keeps doing this. It's the same director as the yeah. one that did Ghost in the Shell. Oh my God. So, like, he's just, like, he doesn't care, and he's letting us know he doesn't care. Because Scarlett Johansson also played an Asian woman yeah. in another film, and it was the same director. Exactly. I'm yep. just like... Either you're doing this intentionally to, to like, like annoy people. Yeah, but or... I think it's always that thing of the star power, you know, like we need to like put a star into the show or into into this film in order for people to like buy into it. So like I don't care like what like people say like about, you know, the way that we've cast it. It has to be a star so that we can get the bank behind the movie. It's like, but you already have a lot of money if yeah. you are able to make Ghost in the Shell. Like, so, like, what is happening? Also, <laughs> Scarlett Johansson is just not that interesting an actress. I not to I'm put her not, down, but I just I don't care. I think that she can definitely act, but sometimes I'm because she plays so many robotic characters. Is in like so many robots or like, uh, what are they called again? The like, uh, the. The ones that um, are not robot androids. androids. Yeah, she plays like androids and like in in that film her, she plays just a disembodied voice. So like <laughs> she's sort of like I don't know, she's being kind of typecast as this like, you know, shell of a person all the time. To the point where I'm like, I don't know who she is anymore. Yeah. You know? Like did you, did you ever see the film that was uh, that she did that was um filmed in Glasgow? What film was that? Um mm, I'll try and find the name of it, but it was, like, it was insanely good. Like, it was a very kind of, like, small, like... um, Like, independent. Independent film. But she was, like, this... I don't want to give too much away about this film, but it was, like, she was an alien that was (laughs) kind of picking people up and just... And kind of... She had a van, and she was running... She was driving around Glasgow picking up random guys. But, like, I think What was the intention of picking them up? Because she was, it was like a weird, it was very surreal, very strange. Like she was picking them up and then kind of consuming them. But oh. she wasn't like eating them. She was just, it was like a weird, it was a very strange, like kind of um, otherworldly like thing that like okay. it looks amazing in the film. Um, but she, um, and the score was done by M- Mika Levy. So it was like really, really good. It was just a very, very good film. Okay. I really need to know the title of it. But um, she like, um, was picking people up in Glasgow and I think that they didn't tell the people at the time like as in like Scarlett Johansson was just driving around Glasgow in a van oh. like picking up random guys and I don't think that they were telling the guys until they had been picked up and then they'd be like okay we're doing this film blah, blah. but like <laughs> that's what I heard that but sounds quite problematic <laughs> that sounds, it sounds problematic but it just sounds hilarious as well can you imagine that happening to you on the, like a random street in Glasgow <laughs> Yes, actually. <laughs> but yeah, I th- also a lot of films are being filmed in Glasgow and in Scotland in general at the moment. Yeah. They did that Avengers film, like they did a whole scene in yeah, Edinburgh. Yeah, in Edinburgh, yeah. Have you seen it? Did you see yeah, it? Yeah, no, I went to 
was it Avengers Infinity Wars Infinity Wars yeah. yeah um yeah no I went to see that because I was with my flatmate and mm-hmm. she had to review it and it was really cool because it was like yeah it was just it was so cool because it cut to Edinburgh and I remember we were just sitting there and we were like oh my god it's we've been there yeah um, but yeah no these they, they the bit the where they sort of like something flies into like the roof of the um Edinburgh it uh, Waverley train station and I was just like that's the roof of Edinburgh Waverley train station I was like do people know if like is it still intact <laughs> like what's going on <laughs> but it was weird because it was like nobody there but yeah. like the trains were still running and I was like that makes no sense yeah. <laughs> but yeah oh so I was gonna say that we should probably like plug our stuff a little bit <laughs> yeah let's talk about it so how do, we, how do we know each other what's our relationship with one another uh, we're like really good friends that also like make projects together so yeah yeah so yeah. i think i first approached you because i mean i'd seen a lot of your work already at your master's show and i i really liked a lot of like the work that you're producing and also you were like myself very interested in fashion so we both created a project together well well, I created a project and then I enlisted you on the project to help with the photography um well mostly do the photography and so that was called blurring the binaries you can find it online (laughs) www.blurringthebinaries.com and that's really just like an exploration of gender um through fashion philosophy photography and whatnot and it's just like a collection of essays with various photo shoots to kind of accompany the essays yeah and it was very fun to do it was very fun to do and it was really just like yeah we would just kind of get together you know we'd have a drink and then just go to the studio and just dress up i think like the the first time was like the best because i remember going in and we i had suitcases full of clothes and like we like put them all over the entire studio and we're just like we have too much stuff we have too much stuff and then also just like it was just like a a very fun way to spend an afternoon just like okay let's put on all of our clothes and take photos it was just really good but yeah and we've had quite a few different models and stuff like that as well in Dundee like a lot of people that we know that kind of are a bit more androgynous in the way that they dress and things like that so yeah, and then uh, I came up with a sort of uh, idea to do a podcast, which um, then I thought, yeah, it'd be great for us to do that together as well. And the uh, <laughs> the name of the podcast is a little bit controversial, but um, yeah, do you want to do you want to say so? It? <laughs> so okay, so we we first thought of the name when we were both out in Barcelona together, and it was really just it was actually a reaction because I'd been getting called a faggot a lot. A lot of the time in Spanish, which I didn't realize, mm. I was like, "What are they? What are they saying?" And I was like, "I bet you they're like complimenting what I'm wearing." No, they weren't. They were calling me a faggot. Um, and when you came over, obviously it was it was great because it was a familiar face. Mm-hmm. I was kind of living outside of Barcelona in a kind of, you know, a a bit less. It was a a a, a lot less of a tolerant place because mm-hmm. Barcelona is pretty tolerant. And I remember. We were kind of just... I, I was telling you about the fact that I'd been called faggot, like, like so many times. And as a kind of reaction to that, like, we just... I don't know. We I just thought of the word femme fag. Mm-hmm. As when, after yeah. you were talking about the fact... Uh, the idea of doing the podcast, I was like, well, why don't I... I'll be, the like, the femme fag. Yeah. Because then, if, that's, if that's what people are going to call me anyway, I may as well reclaim that language. And, yeah. you know, kind of 
not let myself be offended by it because language the way that we understand language changes all the time and for me like I don't have any personal connection to the word faggot like I'm not going to let people insult me with it because I'm not insulted do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and also um I like came up with the idea of calling myself the negress because um yeah I remember I'd been watching a lot of broad uh, Broad city at the time and uh, they call themselves Jewesses and I just love like they they just like (laughs) make me laugh so much I just thought it was like really funny and then obviously like the word negress has its historical connotations in relation to like slavery and stuff but it like I feel like the word black and the word negro are not like different words it's just like it's no longer acceptable to call a black person a negro um it's not acceptable to call us black and maybe in 20 years it won't be acceptable to call us black either because like i think we'll like have to move out of these like prescript prescriptive sort of identities like you know like almost um in a sense that like um i would say that i'm a person of african descent before i would call myself black these days just because i keep thinking about it in terms of like what does black even mean especially in relation to white like the there's this concept called the um, the Minikian, um concept, or like it's basically about like how the dichotomy of black and white, like and how white is about purity and goodness and all things great in the world, and blackness is always about like evil and like bad things, and that's just like the connotations of being called black is actually quite negative to me. So I'm like not really sure if like being called black is necessarily like okay either so um reclaiming the word negress is just sort of to be like yeah like i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna take this word that like it used to be used in such a negative way and i'm just gonna like wear it for for the sake of uh (laughs) yeah well and the thing is like the so the podcast itself explores queer and black identity um and really we just like have a bit of fun we'll talk about things that interest us we um we have a segment called what who's touching our hair this week (laughs) and it's really like it's a rehash of you know the idea of it's like what is bothering us this week um so yeah so the podcast is called femme fag and negress but um you can find it at www.ffnpodcast.com is that .co.uk .co.uk we haven't got we haven't quite got the .com we're not that international (laughs) yet no there's also an FFN podcast that exists that has nothing to do with what we do what Um, is it about? it's like this family that um, are doing some sort of I don't know they're they're talking about um, health foods and uh I think their child had like uh, eczema and like lots of other problems so they had to like put them on these specific like gluten-free diet and all this kind of stuff and then they've made a podcast and it's called ffn but ours is ffn uh, podcast uk okay because theirs is i think based in america okay well that's why i was like oh okay we'll just do .co.uk then <laughs> well ours sounds a lot more interesting <laughs> yeah like ours is also like you know it's got a controversial name so I think we can't we stick. can't help you with your your gluten intolerance but we can help you explore <laughs> black and queer issues so if you're interested yeah. then check us out yeah you can hear more of us just like you know talking about beyonce for talking about beyonce <laughs> give the people what they want they want beyonce no but there's like yeah. the entire first episode is just me breathing out of my mouth because i'm a monster then the whole second episode is just us regretting the fact that we drank coffee yeah, we and drank our so anxious messes and like ended up we listened to we listened to that same recording like twice because we couldn't figure out if it was okay or not because we were so like anxious from drinking coffee 
<laughs> it was really funny. But yeah, um we we drank a little bit during it, so um it can be it can get a little bit <laughs> messy. <laughs> messy. No, but, but I do feel like fun. everybody the reaction that we've had so far has been pretty positive. Mm-hmm. And I can't really think of do you know anyone else creating podcasts in Dundee just now? Oh, there's hundreds of podcasts in Dundee right now. Is there? Now. Yeah, oh, there's just... loads of them. Um, there's like a podcast movement happening worldwide, basically. And oh, that's Dundee's good. quite involved in it. Um, I don't know any off the top of my head right now, but um, yeah, I know there's certainly quite a lot of people who are working on them. At the well, moment. we can definitely give them a listen mm-hmm. and then we can maybe pl- plug some of them on our podcast. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been really fun. Like we just kind of talk about whatever is taking our taking our interest this mm-hmm. this week and it's also because we'd done things like essays and stuff before that it's kind of a much more conversational way to you know to discuss, discuss. Yeah. it Some feels of the more like heavy issues we kind of like are quite light-hearted about them yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like these are things that are important to talk about but also mm-hmm. we're kind of gonna make it into a bit of a joke at the same time to mm-hmm. kind of not to, to not get too bug um like bogged down in like serious issues yeah we could do like the deconstruct the look um like while we're here oh, okay so yeah so this is like a segment that we do on the show the show mm-hmm. do we are we that conceited yet do we say on the show like you literally called people your fans once oh yeah <laughs> I, I like accidentally call my friends my fans all the time i'm like oh they're just my fans and i'm like oh i meant my friends um so yeah we, d- we have a segment at the start of each show where we basically just deconstruct what we're wearing and like you know what was what was the inspiration behind what we're wearing and and yeah just like what what the message of the outfit is so i let you i let you start what are you giving us i'm giving you um 1980s roller disco but without the actual skates (laughs) (laughs) had the skates fell off a curb lost the skates yeah yeah you're also giving me kind of like finesse video yeah like you're giving me bruno mars finesse yes yeah isn't like 80s to 90s like yeah. late 80s early 90s notice that is like totally like i'm like that's giving me like the bruno mars video but that is really just like 80s fashion it's like yeah, yeah people really don't understand it's, where it's things based come on from. in living color which is an amazing um show like from yeah i think it was the early 90s i, th- I can't remember but yeah what what, what are you what am showing? i giving I am wearing earrings that are far too heavy for my for my ears, so I'm currently being weighed down by them. Um, I'm they're kind of an ear infection waiting to happen, so stand yeah. by. And I'm also giving you kind of a what color would you say this suit is? I would say it's like a maroon or burgundy. Uh, yeah, I'm giving you like a a burgundy suit, and I don't know why I just thought I'd be a bit over the top today. And you've got a bonnet on. I've got a bonnet. Yeah, I've got like a a sort of I don't know taxi flat cap. Yeah. With a nice Vivian Westwood inspired um, patch, and I'm also just giving you some eye makeup because yeah, because a, I want a to. flash of color. A flash of color. I'm <laughs> amidst all the darkness. <laughs> no, I'm 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 very colorful today. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm like ready to like, you know, go out in the sun. Yeah, to enjoy yeah. it and sweat. Definitely. Yeah, I, I'm wearing far too many layers. What 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 does my outfit give you? I don't know. I'm. I felt like you were like um sort of giving me a little bit of like working women in the 80s as well like, yeah I, I feel like we're both like working women working <laughs> yeah we did not come to play around we came no. to make coin yes not here to be got, funny like, blazer, here to make money a really nice blazer and you're just like i'm ready for the office or the dance floor <laughs> literally like like watch me strip off and i'm ready to bust a move yeah, yeah. she's not even smashful she's more like smart but can keep it like her version of casual yeah smart but not quite casual yeah yeah 
So that's like that's that's what we're wearing. Okay. How are we for? I think we're I think we're done. I think we managed to get through it all. Yes, <laughs> only swe- only profusely sweating a little bit. That's fine. <laughs>